Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Arizona Good Business Radio, featuring leaders in the Arizona business community, working to build a lasting impact throughout our state through doing good business. I'm your host, Thomas Barr, Vice President of Business Development at Local First Arizona. We're a statewide organization advocating for and celebrating locally owned businesses, and we're the largest local business coalition in North America, providing resources to thousands of small businesses while raising awareness of the benefits of building a strong local economy. I'm super excited today to have two gentlemen with me, Mr. John Mittman, CEO of Aboto Energy Partners, and Kyler Collin, the Operations Director of Phoenix Water Solutions. Welcome to the studio today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, very excited to get to share a little excited bit. Excited to have you fun. here. Excited to have you here. So one of the main reasons we wanted to bring you two together, and I learned as you walked into the room that you've actually met before, I didn't know you actually had met before, was that both of you have been involved with Air, um, Local First Green Business Boot Camp that we put on. And so I thought it would be super cool and unique to kind of bring Let's bring the water. Let's bring the energy. Let's, you know, the only thing we're missing is like, I think the trash and the recycling and the compost maybe, but have a cool conversation about the industries that you're in and how that impacts business and how you work with businesses. So super excited to have that conversation today. But let's start with you, John. Why don't you um, just open it up, tell everyone about your company and what you do. And I'm not sure if you started it or not or came in as CEO, but let's, let's hear a little bit about your background. Sure. I did found the company. So we are an energy services company in, and in our industry, the customers don't really know what we are generally, you know, they don't know that they need us, but you know, we come in and that's how we're, how we're known. So what we do is energy efficiency, uh, renewable energy projects, anything that's related to energy use, consumption, infrastructure, you know, do EV, EV charging projects. Oh, cool. A big reason that we do what we do is, you know, from a sustainability impact, uh, we want to try to help businesses save money and also, you know, help the environment out in the same. Sure. And so I'm, and I have a million questions about EV charging stations, which I know we'll get into. But how does one get into this field? Like, did you just have a passion for it? Did you have, do you have a background in it? Like, what led you to starting the company? So, Going way back, I, I was a mechanical engineer out of college and went to grad school. This was right in 2008 when effectively there was no job market for people that were coming out with, <laughs> you know, so. Great time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was a, a National Science Foundation grant a fellowship that came through ASU and, and I ended up attending as the first class of a solar graduate program. Oh, no way. Yeah, which was awesome. Uh, so I've been a Sun Devil. Right on. For life two degrees there and went right into the solar industry, worked in the solar industry, doing commercial development, mostly in the public sector for schools and, and for municipalities, some airports. Uh, in 2016, we were bought, rolled up into a larger organization, which also did energy efficiency and all that. Cool. As a mechanical engineer, I had a background in that. Fast forward to 2022, early 2022, I decided that, you know, the private equity held national corporation just wasn't really in alignment with, mm. you know, the values of what I wanted to do. So 
decided to start Oboto Energy, and here we are. Right on. That's yeah. cool. So 2022, so you're barely about a year into it. Yeah, I mean, really a year and a half since we we launched. Right on. Yeah. Well, you've made it past the one-year mark, which <laughs> I, I was looking up stats last night because we were doing a presentation on something. I think it's something like only 80% of businesses in Arizona survive their first year. So you're through that first threshold, and then it's like it keeps dropping from there. But excited to have you here and excited to learn more today. Yeah. So thanks for being here. Uh, Kyler, doing operations for Phoenix Water Solutions, I'm sure is no small feat mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. a desert. Um, tell us a little bit about your role. Tell us about the company and, and what you do there. Yeah. So really, I got started with Phoenix Water Solutions in 2017. So it's been about six years. Uh, the company as a whole. So we're working to serve and solve local water scarcity through technology and infrastructure. So that's mm-hmm. really the core goal. And it's fun, too, to be with John because it's very similar in the sense of trying to build productive systems. So I was in a really cool spot when we started. This wasn't the core mission of the company, but it evolved over time. And my intention got a lot more on the conservation side, building, you know, finding inefficiencies in the water utility system. How can we improve it? How can we locate leaks? How can we help people be more accountable for their consumption? Mm. And because that was the position that I had, I was able to kind of buy out some of the the other partners and start to have the ownership of the group. And now uh, I am the the sole owner of the company. And oh, yeah. So it's a really congrats. Yeah, thank you. So we have had a lot of different twists and turns through the course of it. But I was an ASU student, uh, supply chain major. You know, really loved that idea of how can we find efficiencies and. Before I was with Phoenix Water Solutions, I was actually working in the solar space a little bit. And it was really interesting, but there was a lot of other players. There's a lot of different things going on. And when I kind of came across the company and started working with the other owners at the time, it just seemed like a industry that didn't have a lot of people really engaged in addressing the issues. There's a lot of topics and conversations about water yeah. conservation and sustainability. <laughs> yeah. But it was lots. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, but it was who who's really doing something about it. Yeah. Right? Who's actually helping make sure these initiatives get enforced and implemented. And that was the gap that we're really trying to jump in and solve. So there's lots of fun stuff in water conservation. We hear it a lot. There's a lot of scary stories in the news (laughs) and Lake Mead and this or that. And uh, it's a fun problem to be working on for sure. Sure. Absolutely. So ASU, did you graduate from ASU? I did graduate from ASU. What year were you? Yeah. So I graduated in 2018. So you're 18. You were 08, right, John? Well, well, Ish. Thereabouts, yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah. I was 2010, so I think everybody's ASU grad, so yeah. here we go. Forks up. <laughs> <laughs> Did not pre-plan that ahead of this show today, oh, but can, can lucky I, little surprise. Can I pause? Yeah. Can I say that I was sparky at, at one point? No way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How uh, many push-ups can you do on this table right now? <laughs> right now? Uh, challenge accepted. Yeah. So you're officially the second, like, official mascot that I've, like, met in my life. I, I actually... I'm friends with the previous Baxter of the Arizona Diamondbacks. We did a leadership program together. And I realized when I met him that I had like taken photos with him like while he was the mascot at the time. So must have been a fun gig though. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I got to do the community service and outreach version. Right on. Yeah, which is That's awesome. Very cool. Really interesting. Well, I want to go back to um, kind of coming together on some of what you both shared and um, why you both probably came together through Local First Arizona's program. So one of the things that we have noticed as an organization is that when it comes to conservation, um, sustainability efforts, 
there's, at least in Arizona, I, I don't know about the rest of the world or the rest of the country, but there's kind of a macro approach and a residential approach. So mm-hmm. the macro approach is like, how do we get every large corporation um, to shift their operations to be more sustainable, sustainably functional? And then how do we help residents reduce their waste, reduce their water, like all of these things so that we can build a more sustainable future? curb, um, you know, everything that's going on. And then there's this missing, this wide missing gap in the middle, which is small business, which in Arizona is 98% of every firm that's here, you know, half of our employees uh, that make up the entire state. You know, we introduced the Green Business Boot Camp because we said no one is out there helping train and develop these businesses that need solutions for themselves to reduce, um, you know, everything that they're doing. And so would love to hear from both of your perspectives, your participation in that program and how you work with small businesses in the community. Like when a business comes to you and says, hey, you know, I'd love to, you know, uh, work with you or or use your services. Like what is it that you do that that you come in and offer to them? Let's start with you, John. Sure. Well, I think coming from, like you said, more of the macro approach, we, you know, have have a background in the public sector where you're talking about you know, massive scale portfolio level projects, you know, hundreds of facilities at a time sometimes for the projects that we're doing. And the way that we got really good in that space is um, coming through with more of a holistic kind of master planning strategy first before we go into diving into, okay, let's nail down these solutions and go from there. So for small businesses, you know, if it's more transactional and like, oh, well, I can do lighting efficiency, or I can do a solar project, or, you know, it's kind of more one-off. What we do is we try to come in and really look at the whole picture and, you know, evaluate, okay, what's the low-hanging fruit? What is your goal? How long are you going to be in this space? You know, what what kind of solutions can you really benefit from? And then we package that up, and we're a general contractor as well, so we, you know, bring in the team to to make that happen. Interesting. Um, So that's a little bit uh, unique and it's it's a value add that is generally only available to the large groups. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. And have you found that there's an increase in demand of, you know, maybe small to mid-sized companies that are looking for more of those types of services? Yeah, I think so. A lot of people by this point, for example, have already done LEDs, kind of made the switch to LEDs, which is the most obvious one in, in most small businesses. But when you talk about mechanical systems, solar is a really big one as well. You know, they get to be a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we bring is uh, a really sophisticated financing approach as a tool to cool. try to leverage, okay, let's get the savings of these kinds of solutions in place in a way that you're actually reducing your operating expenses annually rather than you know, having to shell out $30,000 for a system that'll take yeah. 20 years. You know? Yeah, for sure. That's great. Fantastic. And I would love to hear from the water side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you saying? So specific to some of the original question about kind of green business boot camp. Yeah. Getting involved with the coalition and helping out with that community. It has been very cool to be a resource for just individuals and people that are trying to make a difference. And mm-hmm. the fact that they're even a part of the green business boot camp and thinking about these things and looking for those resources is super promising for me because there is a demand and a conversation around what can I do? as a small business, as a consumer, to better manage my water utility. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's just questions, right? They just are unsure of what resources are out there, what different tactics and strategies they can deploy to make Mm. sure that they are 
just conscious of their usage and using only what they truly need. So water specifically is a really interesting utility. And I just love that John's here because the water power relationship is is very unique in the sense of a lot of people don't realize that, you know, your water utility expense, there's a lot of power behind there. The distribution, sure. the water quality and, and all that is is really attached to that of power. So they are things that go together super well. Yeah. But for us, very similarly, it is just recognizing that a long time ago, water was really, really cheap and the technology was very, very expensive. Mm. And it didn't make sense to manage water on this very granular level. But as technology has gotten cheaper, water's become more scarce, the utility's gotten a lot more expensive, it started to make a lot more sense to implement the technology into the water utility space. Sure. So a lot of it, I mean, 12% of overall domestic usage is just wasted due to leaks. Wow. It's just water just not going anywhere, right? Wow. It's just going back into the ground. So it's getting back into the system for all intents and purposes, but it is wasteful. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of like large complexes, communities, whatever it may be, originally when they were developed, they might have only had one meter installed. So they're just getting one bill every month for, you know, 500,000 gallons. And beyond that, that meter at the front of the property, they have no idea what's going on. Sure. So there's a lot of just low-hanging fruit to help properties and communities, whatever it may be, just get more granular ideas of where their consumption is, whether it's through meters, you know, certain flow type devices to look for irregularities in usage. There's so much going on, but people just don't know about it. So we get to be similar to John, very tactical and strategic about the approach of talking to the consumer seeing what's a good fit for them, and only implementing what makes sense. Sure. And the ROI is just drastic for them because it's very clear, no pun intended, but, you know, very clear, like, what we can do from reducing the consumption and relate that to what the upfront cost is. And then in addition to that, you know, the federal government, local government, there's a lot of programs they have out there, grants and subsidies, credits to implement water-saving tactics. So. There's so much to do in water conservation and sustainability, and it more is just making sure that people are aware of it. So we get to be that advisor and counsel for them and then also integrate the yeah, changes. Absolutely. Man, so one of the things that I hear really often when we're talking to businesses, uh, and I'm curious your perspectives or feedback that you hear out there is – you know, we'll talk to a business or a business is really passionate or, you know, they're looking for ways to save money as a business. You know, margins are super thin when you're Mm -hmm. starting or operating a small business, especially brick and mortar. But a lot of these businesses don't own their buildings and they're leasing. And so they don't have a lot of control over it. What are you seeing out there? What advice would you give a business, I guess, if you don't own your property, you don't own your building, but maybe you have a relationship with the owner and you want to implement some of these changes, um, but you don't have the power over all of the infrastructure to be able to do it. Maybe start with you, Kyler. Yeah, it's a really fun problem to work through mm. in kind of retail strips and whatever it may be, multifamily communities, because no matter what, ultimately, you're paying for the water somehow. It's yeah. getting wrapped up in your ramp, your rent, your cams, whatever it may be. And it's really cool that there's so much supporting data now on just recognizing what you're paying when it's included versus what you're paying when you're responsible for the bill. Mm -hmm. So some really fun numbers that we get to share, whether it's on the tenant side or the ownership side, is when we implement a system, when we're putting in meters for individual users, whatever it may be, the property consumption on the domestic side usually is reduced around 35%. And then in addition to that, the median consumption. So for most people, the water usage that they're using in particular is about one third of what it was when it was shared. 
So we have to kind of tell this story and help people yeah. understand, like, with all these graphs and charts of like, hey, you're still paying for your your water, you yeah. know, and you're making whatever it is, the space more expensive to rent out because you're including it. Sure. And there's a restaurant, you know, in one suite and the other 10 suite are offices. Like, that guy's using 90% of the water, but you're all paying the same. Like, yeah. does that make sense? You yeah. Know? And the narrative is usually pretty easy to convey because people get it. The more you start talking about it, they're like, oh. I understand. And we have all this waste that like nobody's fixing. I've had a leaky toilet for like three years, but I'm not paying the water. I'm like, yeah. well, you kind of are. You yeah, know, they're you raising your are. bill yeah. every year. So there's so much benefit on the side of having individual meters that usually it's just who starts the conversation. Sometimes it's a tenant. Sometimes it's the owner. Mm. But once the conversation starts, it usually works in favor of people recognizing that, you know, metering individually, implementing certain certain tactics. Tactics are the right thing to do. Very cool. That's awesome. I didn't even think of some of those things. Uh, John, what do you see from your perspective? Yeah. So, you know, we've got this great dichotomy here. We've got (laughs) the water and the energy, and we meter both, right, Mm -hmm. fairly well. So in the energy space, or primarily the electricity space, the infrastructure that exists varies depending on how the buildings were built. A lot of them, you know, as Kyler mentioned, the kind of strip mall type format, you typically have the electric meters at the individual tenant level. And so those that service is established every time that someone new comes in, you have to turn on the electricity, you know, they take over the account and so on. And so it, it kind of creates a bit of a <clears throat> divergence sometimes in terms of site-wide, building-wide infrastructure investments that mm. could really improve the overall picture versus those that, you know, you're trying to apply the benefits directly for the investments that are made by individual tenants. So give you an example, um, solar technology. A lot of times we have conversations with either facility owners or property managers or sometimes even tenants. They're like, hey, well, we want to do solar for the whole facility. Let's put in solar parking structures. Well, because of that individual metering arrangement and because it's all held by different customers, The utility companies in Arizona don't allow for you to kind of virtually smash them all together and then apply that solar energy to Mm. it, whereas many other state markets do. And that really provides a lot easier pathway to do that cost effectively. So as it stands right now, on a tenant-specific basis, you're paying for your own metering. Again, you you can do your own lighting projects, but when you want to do you know, exterior upgrades, bigger mechanical system investments, roofing investments, sometimes window investments. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's where the lines kind of get blurred and and sometimes loss of motivation happens. Um, So it's a complicated space. I I would say that it's kind of in the court of the utility companies and the corporation commission, frankly, to create kind of a better environment to make small businesses in particular more sustainable, give them an option to, you know, make that pathway easier to make those investments. Yeah. It's wild. We got to fight for that stuff sometimes. <laughs> it matters. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kyler, you mentioned something that I wanted to transition to, which I think is related to this, but super important and new. Um, in uh, uh, 2022, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, mm-hmm. which opens up more funding than we've seen in our lifetimes ever for investments in infrastructure and um, sustainability in a wide variety of ways. Based off of what you both do, you might be a business out there listening and saying, man, I'd love to do all these things. 
A, maybe I don't own my building, but B, I just don't have the money to invest in it. But I know a lot of the implications of that act were to make it more feasible, say, if you're a small business, to invest in solar, invest in EV charging station, whatever that looks like. Could both of you share, I guess, from both your industries and perspectives, what um, you are anticipating seeing become available? Or if it's not already available, have businesses start thinking about they could in um, access or invest in um, through that funding that's going to become available? Kyler, do, do you want to start? Yeah, I definitely can. So part of just having financing or just programs available, it's just lowering that barrier to entry for so many people. And if it is a consumer who is interested in services, I think the most important thing is that they're working with somebody to understand what is available for their property in that location for what types of changes that they're looking to implement. Mm -hmm. So the money is being distributed and the agencies, whether it's a municipality, like they're working on distributing these funds appropriately for the consumer. So for us, what we ultimately kind of work as the intermediary between the cons- the customer and the funding mm. to make sure that they're paired up appropriately for the changes that they're going through. Mm. And that's really the toughest part, right, is just knowing, like, how am I going to do this project? Am I going to have grants and subsidies available? What is even out there for me? Yeah. So the expectation is that there will be money for improvements. A lot of municipalities have, like, larger improvements just in general infrastructure that is being done. Mm. But some of that monitoring and management for what they're doing on their side is implementing, like, a lot more smart metering for the municipality itself, but they do have different things depending on the city for, you know, projects internally within a business, whatever it may be cool. to make small changes. Awesome. Yeah. That's exciting. And then John, I mean, a lot of these pieces of infrastructure might not exist within a building, EV charging station, solar. What does that look like from your end? Do you have uh, half power? <laughs> I can, the Inflation Reduction Act is yeah. really something. I'll get to that. As Kyler mentioned, there's kind of two funding buckets. There's the grant monies that are being allocated to each state and are trickling down to municipalities sure. that are, you know, kind of funding more targeted initiatives specifically for lower income. And Arizona is doing a lot on that front. The other side of it that came out of the Inflation Reduction Act are specific tax credit and tax deduction benefits that are either expanded on or manipulated in a way that makes it a lot easier for businesses to take advantage of it. So, I'll talk specifically on the the tax credits. Um, Credits are generally they require you to have tax liabilities to leverage them, right? So if you're going to pay, let's say, $50,000 worth of taxes this year as a business, about 75% of that can actually be offset with a, a tax credit. Now, the issue that that creates is when you start making these really large investments specifically for things like solar, 30% of the total cost is a credit available to you as a credit. Historically, that created some issues where businesses maybe didn't have the sophistication to know tax planning-wise how to leverage that the right way, or they just didn't have enough liabilities. Now there are programs that are called uh, the transferability provisions where you can effectively sell it for cash, sell the credit for cash to another business that wants to use it. And, you know, you take a 5 to 10% haircut on it, but that's now entirely new and that's going to help Wow. You know, businesses take advantage of that. The tax deductions, there's this energy efficient commercial buildings program that has existed, but is now four to five times as large in terms of the funding on a per customer basis. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes a really big difference, especially so you, you combo energy efficiency, 
the depreciation benefits, the tax credits are available. Let's say you had a solar and an energy efficiency project. You're talking like 70% of the total cost is just from federal funding mm-hmm. being offset in some way over wow. over the first you know five or so years. So when you have something like that and you have significant energy savings that come into the picture, it's great if you can leverage those. Like I said, financing becomes a tool. Let's say you have a five-year payback. You use a 10-year fin- financing tool. And you, you're able to you know, save money every yeah. year. I don't know if I answered your question, but no, the, great. the Inflation Reduction Act is is massive, especially for nonprofits. Historically, you weren't able to access the tax credits directly. Oh. Now there's something called direct pay. And municipalities, nonprofits of any variety can get a grant instead of having to go through third-party ownership to, to access it. So it's a huge boon. Uh, I'll say that at least as it relates to Arizona, so much of this federal funding exists. Arizona has to be really strategic in, in the policies that are being made to take advantage of that to the full amount. Got it. In Arizona, the Corporation Commission makes a lot of those policies. And unfortunately, I would say the last year, we've kind of taken some steps back. So we're on a great pathway. Until 2032, this program exists, at least in the, under the current, you know, federal regime. Got it. We'll see what the runway provides, but there's a lot of opportunity. So the time to act is now if you are interested in um, pursuing any of this because the funding's there, the credits are there, the opportunities there. Would love to hear from you a little bit about what you're seeing through participating in the Green Business Bootcamp program. This is a program Local First puts on. Um, we host a variety of businesses from all sorts of industries. Were there any um, interesting stories or cases of businesses that um, you both met or heard about or got to connect with through that program that are planning on pursuing some of this funding or the credits or anything like that that uh, you could share? Uh, John, how about we start with you? Sure. Yeah, so a, a handful of the the participants in the Green Business Bootcamp we've, we've been working with um, the big thing with, for example, the tax deductions is that you have to hit 25% energy reduction for that first kind of trigger to hit where you know, then that starts to kind of build from there. And so they each of those opportunities, each of those customers has a pretty good opportunity to take advantage of it. The tricky part is trying to figure out, okay, how much can we stack up in a, you know, for example, a tenant space to get to 25% energy reduction, which is mm-hmm. really quite significant. Mm-hmm. Everyone in that program is voluntarily there. They're all committed. You know, there's there's somewhat of an expectation that a project will be happening. And so we're, we're you know, happy to help. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of them are also being creative in how they're self-implementing, you know, solutions as well. So cool. it's been great. Yeah. Awesome. Kyler, anybody stand out to you? It is a fun group to be a part of because there is a lot of variety. Mm-hmm. So the types of businesses vary greatly from being a restaurant to having like hydroponic farming, mm-hmm. indoor farming and whatnot. And the types of projects that they're pursuing, again, are drastically different. So a couple that kind of stand out. I mean, one in particular, just kind of being a restaurant, right? And being someone who has a meter on their space and, you know, it's been a a long-standing building for a hundred years, never really had any types of improvements. So they got the same toilets that they've had that are, you know, a nice six and a half gallon flush, just simple things that they could do, put aerators on their sinks and really like take their bill down to 
you know, a third of what it was from swapping out old fixtures and, and putting in aerators on their sinks. So I think that is exciting to see to the other side of it of taking advantage of some different types of sewer kind of reduction programs that the cities have for the city of Phoenix. There's mm. someone we're working with right now for their farm that they're using hundreds of thousands of gallons a month. And none of it is going to the sewer, but the city's still billing them the full sewer amount. Wow. So we're able to work with them to be like, hey, you know, this guy's not using any sewer, but you're billing, you know, thousands of dollars back to this property. Wow. Even though it's not going anywhere. It's not going to the sewer. So there's ways that we can work with the the tenant in that space to monitor what consumption is going in, what is going out, and then work with the city to recognize that they shouldn't be paying for sewer for what's not actually going back there. So gotcha. those are some exciting things. Super interesting, super interesting stuff. And this is all fascinating to me because I don't live in this world every single, I mean, we all live in the same world every day, but I don't live in this space every single day. And so I don't get to really dive into some of the specifics all the time. So I appreciate you guys sharing. So I wanted to maybe uh, start to close this out with just your perspective on you know, our situation. Um, so, I mean, in Arizona in particular and in greater Phoenix in, in that sense, um, in, you know, Pima County, Tucson as well, uh, we're massive desert, right? Why don't we have solar in every building? Why isn't every a building already built for water efficiency? And, and why aren't we more quickly transitioning? What, from your perspective, would you share with someone who's not really thinking about this kind of stuff or isn't taking the steps yet. Do you have any advice or any thoughts to share? I, we don't have another half an hour for that, unfortunately, but mm. we could. <laughs> yeah. We have enough time to at least give a good yeah. final sentiment Let's of hear where it. it's at, right? So I think the consumer is aware that it is of concern, being conscious of usage and everything else. And I think it just really takes time. Like, again, the utility was cheap. Water specifically was cheap. Everybody thought there was a certain allotment that we'd continue to get. It wouldn't be a concern. It would just continue to be there. And as the awareness has drastically heightened, you know, the last few years, everybody knows it's a desert. But really, as, you know, builders are buying huge plots of lands, they can't get water rights and all mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. People are recognizing that just more emphasis needs to be put towards kind of the water utility infrastructure. So I think it's coming. I think it just takes a lot of time. And with where we're at now, I believe the problems will get solved, hopeful, optimistically. Yeah. But that will be able to address a lot of what's going on just through the attention and the awareness that's kind of coming. I feel as if compared to that of solar, solar has been a hot topic of conversation for a, a bit longer, I feel like, than that of the water side. Overall, for consumers in and of itself, it really is more the sentiment of they're using water, they're paying for it. Because it's a lot. Not everybody like loves to talk about the nuance of water conservation. They just are like, we're using too much. How do we use less? Yeah. So there's people that are out there. There's associations, the National Water Association, Rural Water Associations, that these conversations are happening on a super deep level all the time. And yeah, it's not getting any cheaper. So it is exciting to see that there are solutions out there to help the consumer save money, make sure that the water is going to sustainably be there. And just to continue to not forget about it, right? Don't put it on the back burner. Everybody's got to be aware of it and everything else. So, yeah, you know, it'll be an exciting few years to see how it develops. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. John. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, following the big picture kind of infrastructure point as it relates to energy and, again, specifically electricity, you know, uh, the, the energy water nexus is real, the, the interplay between how water is used to produce energy and how utilities are planning around, you know, what resources are going to be part of our energy mix going forward. 
um, you know, solar and things of that variety um, provide a lot of benefit at that level, at the utility scale level. But when you're talking about at the local level, things like solar require the programs from the utility providers to be in sync with, um, you know, what is the value exchange for that energy that's produced at your home to the neighborhood, to the community, to the the electrical infrastructure at Mm. large. So it's kind of a, a complicated way of saying that in Arizona, the utilities are vertically integrated, which means they own and operate the whole system. They kind of have a, a capture, if you will, on you know what what resources are going to be used, and they're regulated in part. But at the local level, the reason that you're not seeing solar on every rooftop is because ultimately, you know, it's a pretty significant investment, mm-hmm. and to marry that up with how the utilities view local consumer-owned resources like solar energy, you know, it requires some some steps to go in that direction to, you know, that there's kind of an understanding that those investments that you or I might be making, that there's sufficient value being provided to the system. So as of right now, the distributed solar and kind of energy efficiency market, energy efficiency is always going to be a priority. You know, you always want to to minimize as much as possible before you go down that road. But I'd say there's a little bit of a a hurdle in making solar and renewable energy to everyone accessible to everyone. Gotcha. Um, you know, because of that kind of utility paradigm. So I would say for everyone's benefit, if I'm leaving you with anything, it's, you know, vote for your corporation commission um, officials really do research there because they're the ones that are making the decisions about what our energy future looks like. And likewise for, you know, utilities like Salt River Project, their board is the one that's making those decisions. So we need to, I guess, vote on what the priorities are. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great component of why we do this show is, you know, we want business owners to be stewards of our community and um, not don't just exist, but take part in shaping your community. And if you care about the future of it, you've got to participate. And so that's why this is called the Arizona Good Business Podcast. We want businesses to be conscious about their operations. Um, Kyler and John, such a pleasure having you guys here today. Um, thank you for being here. If you're listening and you want to get in touch with these gentlemen, Kyler, how can people reach out to you? One really easy way, just the email is always, always open. So Fantastic. just Kyler at phoenixwatersolutions.com. Cool. Go to our website, check the just contact form, submit there, call us. We're here as a resource. So it's all about just starting the conversation and we'll try to guide you in the right direction. Love it. Thank yeah. you. And you, John? So same uh, email and in our website and, and also, you know, by phone, we're happy to, to, to connect. Uh, my email is john, J-O-H-N, at Obodo Energy. O-B-O-D-O energy.com. Um, and yeah, would love to have folks check us out and you know, we're happy to help. Awesome. That's what, we're, that's what we're here for. Right on. And we'll drop all of this info in the show notes. So if you're looking to get connected to them or our green business uh, programming at Local First Arizona, we can connect you as well. And three times a year, we host our Green Business Boot Camp. We also have a Green Business Certification. So if you're a business out there listening, you're interested in pursuing any of these credits or learning more about them, reach out to Local First. We're happy to put you in touch and uh, give you some education and training. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope you were inspired uh, listening to some leaders working to leave a legacy in Arizona through doing good business. 
We'd like to thank our sponsor, Phoenix Business Radio, for hosting us and all of our legacy partners at Local First Arizona. This is Thomas Barr reminding you that if we want to build a better Arizona, we need to connect deeply with the local businesses that make us proud to call this place our home. (laughs) 